five in the eye with Michael and Phil. It's news, but is it new? Hello, and a very warm welcome to episode 0373 of Five in the Eye, a prime number edition. Excellent. This is me, Michael O'Hajuri, and you're listening to Colorful Radio. And joining Michael Varzoon this week, this is Phil Woodford, revealing that our top story is going to be the trade-off between saving the planet and surviving the cost of living crisis. Should Michael complain about the cost of a pint of milk or accept that he should be buying less milk? Five in the eye. And for a second story, we look at polling data that says, that says, that says public ownership is popular again, even among Tory voters. So will our politicians take notice and nationalise key services? So what's story number three this week? It's a reminder that COVID hasn't gone away and that over 50s are going to be entitled to another booster jab this autumn. Story number four is about things that can have an effect on your heart. Snooze buttons are bad for your ticket, apparently, but a couple of cups of tea a day are okay. They'll keep the doctor away anyway, (laughs) away according to recent research. And finally this week, to wrap up the eye, we ask, is space still the final frontier? NASA's trip to the moon was delayed, but Nichelle Nichols, who played Lieutenant Uhuru in the original Star Trek series, is going to see her ashes blasted into the stratosphere. I'm going to be scattered on the Mersey. And that's this week's Five in the Eye. Five in the Eye. We're going to kick off the show this week with um, a Facebook post that I did. That prompted uh, some some uh, some comments. It was about the price of a pint of milk. It was ninety five pence at my local co op, and it was it seemed like only yesterday it was eighty pence, and I was flamed. People said, "Should you be drinking milk? It's bad for the cows. It's bad for the planet." And I thought, well, okay, maybe. Well, I'm like me. I like me green top and me cup of coffee. You know, come on, I've got to have it. But it made me thinking, and made me think, and simultaneously, um, a friend of mine was talking about a, a story you'd seen recently, and the headline was "Think Before You Thank." And what that was, Phil, was it was an article about energy saving. So your email, because it says every time you ha- you send that message, uh, an email, it takes energy because servers have to be wound up. And, and and messages transmitted across these servers, and that takes energy, and that takes electricity, and there's a carbon footprint associated with it. So when you it, it was it was saying, do you really have to send that thank you, or that laugh out loud, or that you know, that comment? So I put the, I put these two together. Look, on the one hand, you know I gotta have milk, I gotta have milk in my coffee, but on the other hand, I could save the planet. You know, reduce my carbon footprint by not sending the thanks. And there's a kind of a balance here, Phil. Can you see in terms of being polite? That's easy, <laughs> or not, or being impolite by not saying thank you, saving the planet. But isn't a bit? Well, I'm thinking it's a bit too far to save the planet by stop drinking milk. Mm-hmm. You know, Phil, what about you? Are you well, I mean, milk? you know, the, 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 are you this... feeling guilty? Well, I mean, I, 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 I do drink milk, not huge quantities, but I do do drink it. And I do eat meat, and I know that I should cut back on that for the environment and and, and, and so on. Uh, we've talked before about kind of, you know, some of the things we, we do that are positive and some negative. I, on the plus side, I don't drive, and I do a lot of recycling and, and so on. But I know there's things that I should be doing that I don't. Um, 
where it all becomes a little bit murky and confused for me is kind of people using the cost of living crisis as a kind of leverage to get us to change to more ecological habits. I mean, the kind of thing I'm talking about, Michael, is uh, people complaining about the, obviously, and very worried about the astronomical energy bills they're being confronted with. And then you'll get comments online like, you know, uh, well, actually, we all need to use less energy. Back in the day, uh, you wouldn't have turned the thermostat up. You'd have just put a jumper on. So um, why, why don't you be ecologically friendly uh, and turn down the turn down the radiators, and wrap up warm? And so, this is patronising, isn't it? Really patronising. I think it's confusing two things there, Phil: the, the cost of energy and the cost of living. You know, and the cost of being comfortable. You know? So we have a. There's a lifestyle that each of us has that we need to survive. And that and that requires a certain amount of energy. You know, planet or no planet, we need that to live, you know. And you have to your, your, pa- your palace takes energy to run, doesn't it, Michael? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So you've got to decide. It comes back to the, the, this, this idea of taking milk in your tea. Am I being am I am I ruining the planet by having milk? You know, it's to your point, you know, am I ruining the planet by having meat? You know, I, I don't eat that much meat, so it's easy for you not to have any meat. I don't eat steak. I, I'm, I'm I'm a chicken and um, fish man. But you're going to say, well, chicken, it's like it's like cows. And I think there, there, there are issues about consumption and energy that, that it takes to create the cow or to create the chicken. I want to say to you, Phil, what I said in the, in the post, if you consume today energy, food, white goods you're damaging the planet the challenge is you we should choose be selective rather than being accusative on what what we're going to compete what we're going to consume and not pointing the finger at everybody else it's something we should make our own decisions and not be accusative because we you know each to their own I guess you've got your own standards, Phil, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, yes, each to each to our own. But of course, you know, we can all go along behaving in our own sweet way. Um, and it seems quite reasonable to us. And we're not kind of, we don't think we're living any kind of excessive lifestyle. But collectively, uh, we're, we're damaging the planet, aren't we? And so, it, 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 I mean, those statistics about the energy use for things like email or social posts, and that's really quite troubling, isn't it? Because... This this um, digital communication has clearly exploded in the last twenty five years, and you've got um, huge amounts of power needed to 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 um, make all this possible. Huge server farms that have to be kept cool that they're generating huge amounts of of power. Um, reminds me also of the cryptocurrencies with the mining that goes on, which, you know, extraordinary amount of energy taken to keep the crypto market going is equivalent to what what, what Sweden uses in a year or something. But I'm going to say, Phil, that was back in the day. These people have all moved now to to, to, these crypto farms and now buy um, hydroelectric plants or buy dams so that energy is virtually free because it's too expensive, to your point. Look, Phil, I think you're missing a point here, Phil. It's a sense of choice and understanding that there is an effect, but then you got, we need to survive. You need to live and have a, a, a reasonable lifestyle. Whatever You, you make that decision yourself. I'm not going to browbeat people into saying, you know, you've got to save the planet. You've got to stop sending that email. You've got to stop drinking milk. You've got to stop eating meat. We can't. We're not going to be like that. I'm much more down the route. You know, are you aware? 
perhaps you could cut back on that. Do you have to send that email? Or maybe it really when when people have commented on your milk post, Michael, you could have come back to them and said, look, look, think about the energy you you've used to comment on my on my post. Exactly. This becomes preposterous in terms of, you know, if you consume, then you you're damaging the planet. So should we all sit in a room and drink water? Having said that, how does how do you get into the room? How does the water get to you? There's so many ands. So Phil, it's about it's about all thing, it's about balance. It's about balance and getting it right. They're not being not being excessive. And I guess for that, we need leadership in terms of people of the government explaining to us. And I've been I point the finger directly at the government in terms of what's right and what's wrong. Like for instance, you know, we're consuming gas. They want us to consume gas rather than electricity because gas is better for the planet. But then we make our own gas or better, they wanted to use um um uh, solar power or wind energy. So maybe it should it should give us the opportunities and price things accordingly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, we're you not know, alone. We, we've been job. we've been terrible with our investment in renewables and things like solar and the incentives to install them were taken away. I think under the coalition government and haven't returned. And you know now um, the, the the chickens are coming home to roost um, because we, we we're not prepared in the way we should be for the energy shocks we're facing. So yeah, interesting. Think before you think. I've never heard of that before. Michael drew it to my attention, but it's certainly food for thought. Five in the eye. Story number two this week is about the idea of nationalisation. Um, so you know, obviously, back in the day, it used to be that um, many of our big utilities and businesses were publicly owned; they were run by the state. And you know, there, were, there was a history of industrial strife and inefficiency, and all you know, when you think back. To the, the listeners who are old enough to remember things like British Leyland and British Rail and so, you know, these were not necessarily halcyon days. And uh, there was an ideological move in the 80s under the Thatcher government to privatise a lot of this stuff and uh, put it into the hands of shareholders. And the thinking was, well, that would be more efficient, wouldn't it? And we would uh, we we would innovate and invest and get better services and so on. Turns out that a lot of this private enterprise in our public services has made a lot of people very rich and um, possibly not delivered in the way that we would expect. So now there's a big debate again about should we nationalise, should we not? What's quite interesting is uh, the public um, do support nationalisation. 66% in recent polls say they want to see energy in public ownership, including 62% of Tory voters and 68% of Conservative voters want water to be nationalised. We know we've seen recently all the sewage being pumped out into the oceans, the the leaks, the extraordinary amount of leaks that these companies preside over. So, um, Michael, what's your what's your take on this? Um, everything should be nationalised? Something should be nationalised. What's the cost? What's the implications? No, Phil. Emotionally, you know, I think we need to nationalise nationalise these these things. But then you have to calm down, Micah, and look at it rationally. And for me, a a wake up call for me, in terms of nationalisation, was was not here in Britain. Was in America, when uh, the New York Port Authority was up for sale. They're capitalists; they'll sell you anything, and the uh, Dubai Port Authority wanted to buy it, mm. and Clinton wouldn't sell it to them. There were things he wouldn't sell because that is a national app, and he didn't approve of Dubai, Dubai, Dubai buying it. And that, for me, was a wake-up call in terms of when we look at nationalisation. So, the, 
who do you, then who do you sell it to? And I look at water. Look at water, for example. You know, it's owned by Cayman companies, and the, the Yorkshire Yorkshire Water is owned by uh, the Hong Kong companies. You've got uh, Thames Water owned partly by the Chinese. You've got you've got um, Anglian Water owned by Canada and the Cayman Islands. These are not these are not people who have our, who would naturally have my interest at heart. But water is is a basic commodity. It's a fundamental commodity. So it, uh, it makes me think. Can you really have a market in something so fundamental as water? Can you let yeah, I mean, I think if you, if you look forces around, I mean, if you look around the world, the vast majority of water provision is um, uh, is in the public sphere, as you would expect. And I think around the world, maybe uh, there's something like 250 million people get their water from private companies, and many people in the UK would obviously be counted amongst that, but the vast majority of people don't. And so we are an outlier in, in that respect. And I, I, you know, I would agree that water seems to be a natural monopoly. Um, I, I also think that in many respects, you know, infrastructure like rail and energy might be too, but I am also a realist, and I think kind of well, we are where we are. There's a couple of things I would say. First of all, I'm not a great believer that nationalised um, companies necessarily provide a higher standard of service to, I mean, I, I am just about old enough to remember things like the general post office running telecommunications, where people waited six months to get a phone installed. Yeah. In this I mean, no one would seriously say now, would they, Michael, that our telecommunications should be brought back into public ownership, would they? I don't want to go into the, the, the post office. Just come back to the water. Let's just focus mm. on water. What investments have these people made? In, well, they uh, they in certainly dams? haven't. They certainly haven't tackled the leaks. I mean, about about yeah, a quarter of the water seems to leak out of the system, which is absolutely extraordinary. They've invested nothing. They've invested nothing, and they've taken profits. Yeah, tens of millions of pounds of profit. They paid the directors hundreds of thousands of pounds, and it doesn't feel. They are not delivering a service right right now. There's um, Thames. We've got a, there's a water shortage, uh, and the, you know there's um, a hose pipe ban. Now, is that a hose pipe ban because there's no rain, or the fact that this this, this water company is not prepared for when there's going to be no rain by putting dams and reservoirs in place? And I, I would put it to you, Phil. I believe it's the latter. They've not invested. Yeah, not, yeah. You can't defend them. I tend, you know, I tend not to be hugely ideological about this. I mean, I think that you, you've made a good case that the private water companies have failed, and that it would probably be better for it to be publicly owned. And I, I don't, I don't necessarily disagree with that. I find, you know, what I slightly worry about is people thinking, you know, if if we go, if we broaden it out to something like. The, the gas and electricity, people thinking somehow or other that if we nationalised these companies, things would profoundly change for us in terms of the energy costs we face. And I don't actually think they would. We're buying but, um, gas. We're buying gas on an international market, and the government would be buying it on the same international market as these businesses are, and um, it wouldn't fundamentally solve the problems that we face. Plus, it would cost a lot of money for the government to buy out the shareholders of these private companies. Okay, for that latter one, it depends what they, how much they want to pay. These are our assets. Now, you're going to say we're a, we're a, a free and open capitalistic uh, uh, economy, so we, mm. we do it at the right price, the market price. But I would put it to you, these are exceptional times. Things have moved on. Energy has changed. 
So an energy is in, we now is a fundamental, almost a human right, and it's the government's mission to, 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 to deliver to us a sort of figure. This is just off the top of my head. Forgive me, I might get them wrong. You looked at the cost of of um, of a unit of energy across Europe, and they're almost all around about a hundred euros or something. The same thing about hundred in Britain. It was four hundred. We were four times. There's a difference in there. Different. And what the difference is because we've got this so-called this pseudo market. Yes, and I do think it's yeah, pseudo. Yeah. But I mean, and, and we know, for instance, the French government's intervened to keep prices down. What what is happening though now is that some countries in Europe that have been trying to keep a lid on the prices are realizing that it's actually not going to be sustainable in the longer term. Whereas the opposite is happening in this country. We've been letting the market run riot, and now we're going to be in a crisis situation where the government's going to have to step in and intervene. And so I think actually when this shakes itself out, probably the stark differences across Europe are going to iron themselves out. We're all pretty much in the same boat and the government is going to have to step up to the mark. Hang on a second. That's not true. That's not true. We got, we got our own gas. We've got our own wind, we've got our own um, wind supply, solar energy. We've got we've got significant more than other countries in Europe. Okay, we haven't got as much nuclear. We didn't invest in nuclear, but we're trying to make up for that. Another, well, another, we, another well, we, we are very dependent on gas, and we don't we we don't produce enough to supply all our needs. We import a lot, and we don't have the storage facilities of other European countries, which is a deliberate decision that was taken here. And that is a yeah. stupid decision. But you know, we are incredibly dependent on gas. Eighty five percent of us use gas boilers in the UK, and it's a, a much lower figure in some other countries no, no, so I, I don't I, you're right but then you said stupid stupid decision we didn't increase our, 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 our gas supply or gas storage capabilities stupid stupid decision we didn't invest in in uh, nuclear when we're supposed to be so on the water hill this government has to make some sensible solutions and when this woman comes in and she looks like she's going to be she's got to get this sorted this is going to be a number one on her agenda and i I'm not just looking for her to give us handouts, temporary handouts to pay the bills. I'm looking for some fundamental change where, can I use the expression, we take back control. <laughs> we take back control. Well, there's Michael's, mes- there's Michael's message to Liz Truss, who we presume will be our Prime Minister, uh, meeting the Queen in Balmoral next week. Five in the eye. Story number three this week. It was... Uh, it was just, uh, it, <laughs> How can I say? I was, I was surprised to see it. Because it, it talked about vaccine fatigue. And there's something I, I'm not aware of, but apparently that we're going to need an, another vaccine, a booster vaccine, a vaccination this, this summer, this summer, this winter. And it's been predicted that, the, that we're losing our, our urge, our desire to be vaccinated. We have enough of it. And I was surprised at that when I read the articles, but you know, I, I thought they've kind of redefined vaccine hesitation. You know, this uh, this anti-vaccine—that's a polite way of talking about anti-vaccine. The vaccine hesitant, and it's a bit marketing. Uh, the government is doing, is doing a bit of marketing there and talking about um, people being reluctant. But no, it, I think this is really important because COVID nineteen has not gone away. It's morphed into this Omri conversion. And we're now we're going to this, we need this bivalent vaccine that's going to take both of the, the COVID-19 and the, the Omicron version. And at the same time, the flu vaccine, vaccination, you know, we, we did that. During, people were vaccinated during the uh, during the pandemic. They got naturally vaccinated with flu because they saw the importance of it. 
with the COVID. So they, I had my flu jab at the same time. I, in fact, I did my first flu jab ever during, during the yeah. Me uh, too. I've had my first. Well, I had so two no, flu jabs yeah, and, during and the pandemic. So I'm I'm ready to do my my flu jab now. I mean, I've been invited to do a shingles jab as well. So I'm 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 not it's one, big, it's one big vaccination party for you, Michael, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. So myself personally, I'm not I'm not you know, vaccine vaccine fatigue here because I, I understand how important they are. Mm. So I'm just yeah, I mean I, I, I you know I, I agree. I'm a little bit surprised at the fatigue, but then you know yes and no. I think I think the the age group that is being targeted with the boosters, which is the 50 plus age group, I think there will be a good level of take up i mean uh, one one of my daughters uh who's in her early 20s i mean both both my kids have had the vaccines but i think one of my daughters has said look you know she's really probably not going to have another one and she's had three and for her that's it but obviously when you're when you're young you don't see the risk in quite the same way do you as when we're old and you know i i my plea to to people would be uh, you know our immunities do wane against the, this virus um the vaccines have been very good unfortunately not great at stopping the spread of covid but uh, pretty good at stopping people getting seriously ill. But you don't want your immunity to decline too much. And as Michael said, you you want to be protected as far as possible against the more recent variants. So I shall certainly be getting my fourth jab. Um, and I hope, and you know, I hope very much that other people will too, Michael. Do you know what's worrying about this? This, this new um, health secretary, this is your starter for 10, name the new, health, the current health secretary. I, I do know that it's Steve Barkley, although you would be for, you'd be forgiven you would exactly. be forgiven for for having missed it. Yeah, because um, exactly. I mean the people that Boris Johnson appointed at the last minute, we presume they're going to be uh, yesterday's men and women, uh, don't we? Come Tuesday next week or what have you. I should just point out that on Wednesday the UK did reduce the threat level for COVID from level three to level two, which is which is a good you know a good positive thing, and it means that. Um, it's in general circulation, but some of the pressures on healthcare have been reduced. The trouble is, we can get complacent because COVID can come back, and there could be another wave Ex in the autumn. Exactly, and that, that, that's why it's really worrying. This, this Steve Barkley doesn't believe in um, marketing. In fact, he's, he's really cut back the budget for promoting this uh, this um, the, the vaccinational. This, right. this, 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 I keep on getting summer. Why? I'm, I'm literally, I'm enjoying the heat. Now, this winter, which, which for me is, is quite worrying. But I guess it, it, it's quite, it's symptomatic of this, 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 this government. They'll be penny pinching, looking to cut back. You know, look, look at, look at your man. Um, uh, uh, his name gone for me. The, the, the minister for the 19th century. Oh, Jacob Rees-Mogg. Yes, yeah. he's, he's, he's closing down these uh, the buildings for the civil servants to work in because they're not coming in there, so we'll close them down. I think again, this short, short, short-term view is coming out for saving money. I, I, I find it very worrying. This this penny punching for for, for um, this ad advertising just seems out of order, totally out of order to me. Five in the eye for our fourth story this week. Uh, we were going to look at a couple of things that might impact on your heart because we're all concerned about our tickers and uh, keeping them healthy, aren't we? Well, apparently, if you press the snooze button too much in the morning, according to research, um, that can be bad 
for your heart. A number of us do it. We uh, we kip in the morning, and maybe we just keep reaching out for that radio alarm clock or whatever, and uh, until or our phones and turning it and, and turning it off again. But um, they um, th- this this comes out of um, a broader study which has shown that um, sleep does have quite an impact. You know, quality of sleep has quite an impact on on how well your heart is is doing. So people, for instance, who suffer from insomnia and so on, they often have. Um, difficulties with heart problems. And then um, there's, a bit, there's a bit of positive news to contrast with this, Michael. We, we read this, we had it with milk or it was black tea or you had it with sugar or whatever. Tea generally seems to change your habits at all. Just a few comments on, on that uh, snooze button. It was talking about that quality of sleep you get when you hit that snooze button the best. So what it's saying is you should have a good old fashioned alarm clock, wake shit up, hit it and you jump, you get out of bed, you start the day. So it's a, it's a case of being action rather than inaction. You kind of slope as you sit there hitting the snooze button every so often as it comes on, you drift back. And um, one of the stats I took, one of the vacuous or empty stats from it says, people who hit the snooze button are often late for work. <laughs> Come on, there's nothing we don't know. So if you don't know when you're late for work, when the when the, when the alarm goes off, bang, get up. No. So no, I'm, I, I, for your, it's good for your heart and it's good for your job. As for the tea thing, I had to smile at that film. Here we go again. If it's not if it's not tea, it's chocolate. If it's not chocolate, it's dark chocolate versus milk chocolate, or it's red wine versus white wine. These things are good for you or bad for your heart. I've kind of lost track here. And in fact, this article <laughs> says they're not quite sure. They believe, but they say more research is needed to make tea to see if tea really works. Would that so means lo- lots I'm, of people drinking lots more tea for the research probably would, wouldn't it? Exactly. But I was going to say, I'm out to lunch on this one <laughs> with a cup of tea, without a cup of tea. So I'm, I'm not I mean, some, some, of, some of our listeners would say you're out to lunch generally, Michael. <laughs> well, I'll be out to lunch eating dark chocolate and red wine. And a glass of a glass is it glass of whiskey every day or every other day? I don't know. That's I think Margaret people, Fa- I think Margaret Thatcher had it every day. All these 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 centenarians. That's the right word. They always have they have their they have their porridge, their whiskey, and their fag every day. And probably have a cup of tea as well, maybe. You must check up on that Phil. A research opportunity. Five in the eye. We're gonna finish off the show this week, number five, with uh where do you want to be buried? Well, I, re- I I've got in my will, I'm going to be, am I actually going to be spreading the Mersey? But I'm, I'm tempted, Phil, by the headline here that says, you can now be buried in outer space. What does that mean? You can be flown up into outer space on your ashes spread. And this, 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 this article comes from, uh, the, um, from Star Trek. Lieutenant Uhuru, she died quite recently. Quite recently. And she went up into space. And when you look into this, it's a, it's a business. You know, you can decide if you want to be buried, buried or spread around the moon, deep space, or various layers in, in, in but, the stratosphere. I, 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 think, I think it's extraordinary. But I mean, Nichelle Nichols, who played uh, Lieutenant Uhuru, you know, she has a bit of a claim to go into space, doesn't she? Because of her starring role in the original Star Trek. And she um, she followed in the footsteps of other stars like James Doohan, who was Scotty in, in the original Star Trek. I think he was blasted off in, his ashes were blasted off into space as well, old Scotty. Uh, so, so uh, you know, what, what's your claim, Michael, for your ashes going into space? How, is it no, just I, that you've, was... you've, liked, you've liked looking up at the stars <laughs> over the years? No, and... I'd, I'd like to consider as an option, but the more I think about it, I'd have to say the cost, because these things are not cheap, because they say from 
about two and a half thousand dollars. When you say from, that means you know what's I, I think that's that that, the that, kind of bronze option, and then there'll be a silver and a gold yeah, I, version. I think, I think that's a paper option because you're talking about a, a, a thimble of you is put into this thing, a thimble goes up into space. Mm. But they do, they do show you there's apparently supposed to be photographs of you as, as you kind of vaporize into space. Are gonna, gonna be so it's not like there's not like an urn orbiting the earth, you know, permanently. No, no. They just throw your ashes out there and you, you drift off into space. Well, no, so I, I, you're right. What is my claim to be in outer space other than I'm, I think I consider myself a superstar? Well, that's another story, but I think the, the, I like the idea of being well, I, I am, I am going to do a hope. Well, hopefully, I will. I'm, I'm going to be buried by my, my, my all of my ashes being thrown into the Mersey. Uh, and they'll, st- you know what they do? They stop the ferry, open the back, and they play the tune that you want. And they, there you go. What do you mean? They turn off ferry across the Mersey and put on a tune of your choice. <laughs> they certainly do. They certainly do. Five in the eye. Well, that's it for episode 0373. Michael and I are blasting off now. I hope that you're counting down until next week's Five in the Eye. We hope you enjoyed the show. Please do visit our Facebook page to keep in touch with, with us and view the stories we're considering for next week. For now, this is me, Michael Ohujuru, saying, if you have been, thanks for listening. And this is Phil Woodford reminding you to keep an eye on the news as you never know what we'll be discussing on next week's Five in the Eye. Goodbye. Five in the Eye with Michael and Phil. It's news, but is it new? 